0: Hello, world. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz, please. I'm coming to you live from the PGA Championship. I'm here at Kiowa Island. I cannot wait to get amongst it out on the ocean
1: course. Yes, I can see that beautiful backdrop you got there. And I got to tell you, dude, I'm looking forward to this week for a lot of reasons. One being that I can't remember in a long time a PGA Championship venue getting as much pub as Kiowa Island's got going into this thing. I mean, I'm reading about It can play over 7,800 yards, the longest major championship venue out there, all these new tee boxes and things like that. And I'm anxious to see. I mean, it depends on the weather a little bit and the wind, clearly. But, like, what's a good score around this place? I legitimately have no idea. I got to think there's no chance in hell that they're playing at over 7,800 yards any single day out there. I mean, pace of play has got to be six hours out there. If you're putting that thing in the wind and it's 7,800 yards, that would be just a death march.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. You know, I came here. The Monday after the Masters for PJ Championship Media Day, got to play a couple holes with Colin Morikawa. I played number eleven and number twelve, so I know every inch of those two holes. Um, and they asked if I wanted to play the rest of it, and I said, "No, thank you. This place is way too freaking hard. I'm out of here." So I drove around the back nine, and uh, I mean, it's a beast. It's I'm sure they'll move it, the tees around and stuff like that. You know, fingers crossed. The weather looks incredible. No rain in the forecast. You know, high seventies every day, sunshine. So. It's going to be all they want, I would imagine. You know, it's not going to play anything like it did in August when Rory McIlroy won in 2012. Um, You know, they had a lot of rain. It was soft, didn't quite have the wind. He ran away with it by eight shots. Look, it's a major championship. It's going to be an awesome test. Kerry Haig, who sets up the golf courses for the PGA of America, does an incredible job. He's the best in the business. So I'm looking forward to it. It's It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I'm excited to be here. Last week in Dallas, I was back home for the first time in a while. That was an extremely long week. But, man, it was uh, it was enjoyable. KH Lee obviously got the, got the win. But we are on to the PGA, and it's time to get it going.
1: Yeah, on to the PGA is right. And we, I was uh, doing radio this morning talking with a couple guys who had gone out and played nine. A couple of them played the back nine. And they were like, man, the, the wind right now is blowing about as little as I would think it would blow all week. It's like maybe around 10 miles an hour. He's like, we played number 17 from 238 yards into the wind, and they're like, I was debating between slamming hybrid or chipping a three-wood, and I was looking up there, I was like, I don't even know where to bail out. The water's clearly dead. Left is dead. There's nowhere to go. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I got to think setup-wise. Like, they can do whatever they want with it. Maybe the first two days, you know, they don't make it quite as bad, being that, you know, you're going to have a lot of guys out there. You got to get through a cut. But then on the weekend, like you said, no rain. They could probably make it as firm and as fast as they want to get it out there and and stretch it as much. I'm like, I'm legit. I honestly think we could – We could see another one of those major championships where we get a a single digit under par. I think that if I think if they want to do that, they could absolutely do it. And I hope they do.
0: Here's hoping. Yeah, no doubt about it. I know you and I both love that. I mean, I think somewhere seven to ten under par is just an an awesome championship. Um, I think the best players can really separate themselves. But um, it's going to be a great week. Great golf course. Incredible field. Sleeves. I'm making my debut on CBS this week. I can't be more excited hopefully it's not one and done we'll see what, we'll see what happens hopefully i don't mess it up too bad but uh it's gonna be a big week
1: yes sir congratulations on that seeing you getting the nod up to the a team that's a big deal it's a perfect opportunity for you to just shamelessly plug all of our shit i want to see the word subpar i think anytime someone hits a bad shot you use the word subpar after it. i think that would be fitting just don't be afraid to do that that's what all these guys do in that in your world they just shamelessly plug all their all their stuff so do not even hesitate for a second to just get obnoxious with the amount of name drops you throw out there.
0: I will do my best, but please, I'll tell you what, our guest this week, I kind of like him around this ocean course. Um, It's Pete Dye golf course. He tends to play well at those. Webb Simpson, we sat down with him in his hometown of Charlotte, and we got
1: amongst it. Yeah, dude, I mean, where, where do you not like Webb, especially on these Pete Dye golf courses? But, I mean, he's one of those guys that just – rarely ever seems to have a bad week he's kind of point a to point b there's no superpowers he's not the world's longest driver he's not the world's best iron player he's just really damn good at pretty much everything and i think these type of golf courses in my opinion for Webb, like not the shootout type golf courses where par is at a premium things like that those are the places that i i tend to lean towards Webb um more so than anywhere else
0: yeah well we had a blast sitting down with him and might be the only man on the planet more caffeinated than the sleazy man (laughs) here he is Webb
1: simpson on golf so far we have a major champion and seven-time tour winner with us today, one of the most well-liked guys on the PJ Tour, I would say, safe to say, and probably the first guest who's ever shown up Colt with with more caffeine than I have. I was going to say this is incredible. He might be the only man I know that enjoys <laughs> caffeine more than you. This is this is a beautiful thing. We got three drinks. Walk us walk us through what we got here.
2: So, I love sparkling water, you know, just kind of clears everything out. This is my this is my Ember mug. I'm not trying to do a pitch for Ember, but it keeps coffee hot for 60 minutes, okay? Uh, third cup of the day. And then we got water, because, you know. Gotta you know. hydrate. It's 8.45 for the record.
3: 8.45 in the morning.
2: Yeah, but the first kid, we're gonna hear our first kid, one of five kids at probably 6.50. So I know I gotta get my first cup with, you know, silence in the house. How,
3: how many cups of coffee a day?
2: Uh, four to five. Four to five, all right. Yeah. It used to be Diet Coke. Used to be Diet Coke, and that that count was a lot higher. Give me a count. You know, to be fair, six to ten. Six. Yeah. It was a killer when I would go to a restaurant at night and they had good Diet Coke, like Outback. I remember had good Diet Coke. <laughs> so, and if I had a good waiter or waitress and they just kept them coming, I mean, it could be five or six at dinner.
3: What made you stop the Diet Coke?
2: Uh, well, I hired a trainer for the first time in 2010, and he didn't he didn't like the the aspartame. Mm-hmm. You Know in the Diet Coke, so he wanted me to switch to regular Coke if I had a Coke, uh, but I just went ahead and went to sparkling water.
1: I feel like regular Coke would be worse than Diet Coke, but people, yeah, but the aspartame is what people get. Oh, the it's, aspartame. That,
2: it's that yeah. sneaky ingredient people don't really talk about, yeah, but that's daily esque six to
1: ten, yeah. I mean, that's would you drink it on the course while you're playing?
2: Uh, not in a tournament, but okay. here at home,
1: I would. What about what about now? Coffee. Give me a game day routine. Are right, you got an early tea time? Are you
2: hammering out three or four cups? I'm, I'm get on the first tee. I'm automatic two before any round. Like if I'm if I'm playing early, if I'm playing at eight o'clock, I'm gonna get up early and have some coffee. Like I, I have to wake up. This explains to. why
3: you walk so fast. Yeah, it does. Like, every time we played together, I'd be like, all right, see you, Webb. Well. I'll see you up on the green because <laughs> I can't keep up with you. <laughs> Dudes
2: are out there. They've got
1: beta blockers. They're all trying to come down. Webb's i got to ramp this thing. I love it. I'm, I'm big on that. <laughs> oh,
3: that
2: is awesome. Season two with Pauly, my caddy, uh, he kind of mentally decided he was going to try to walk with me. He felt like, you know, we got to do more talking, you know, hang out more. Well, he tried it for about three tournaments, and he was always out of breath, you know, because he's carrying the 40-pound bag, and he just gave up on it, so – we, um, ha- we have a lot of conversations with him at my back that's, that's
0: Paul, let's go awesome. we gotta go we gotta go 150 155 what do we got
2: <laughs> well let's go back to a little
3: earlier earlier days before your coffee addiction yeah. but you attended wake forest arnold palmer golf scholarship what was ultimately the choice for wake forest and also can you tell us a little about your relationship with arnold palmer
2: yeah so i actually first met arnold when i was 16 at the wake forest pro-am and my dad always loved arnold my dad actually played with arnold a couple of times and watched Arnold at Augusta uh, way back when. And so my dad loved him, kind of was plugging Wake Forest. My dad went to Chapel Hill. A lot of my family went to Chapel Hill. So that was kind of in the picture. But ultimately what sold it for me was Jerry Haas. You know, I, I visited unofficially, got to spend some time with him. And I knew he played at a high level, European tour, PGA tour, and I knew that Part of me getting from college golf to professional golf onto the tour was going to be, I needed someone you know to be influential as a coach and really help me away from just the driving range, but how to play the game, how to think. Um, and, and I kind of landed at Wake because I thought Jerry could get me there.
1: Explain the Arnold Palmer scholarship to people who aren't familiar with it. Wake Forest has one, it's given out to one guy, correct? How do they choose who gets that? And is that more pressure knowing that like, hey, my scholarship's got one of the greatest of all times, name attached to it.
2: Yeah, honestly, being the Arnold Palmer Scholarship, it put a lot of pressure on me in, in a way of I felt like it was such an honor that I needed to show up at Wake and make a big splash in college golf. And I had a rude awakening because I didn't realize you guys probably experienced this like college golfers are really good. I, I'm, you know, growing up in North Carolina, winning North Carolina tournaments, occasionally playing some national tournaments, but you show up in college golf and like everybody's really good. I mean, the fifth guy on any team's good at golf. So. I put a lot of expectation on myself uh, and I think it hurt me in my first couple of years. Um, but yeah, the, the Arnold Palmer basically is in Jerry Haas's hands to give out every few years. I, I don't know if it's every two, three or four years, but it's not an every year thing. He's, you know, he's, he's got to give it to somebody who he thinks, you know, could carry that scholarship well. And it put a lot of pressure on me, like I said, but I think I kind of came into my own junior year and I felt like, I was starting to understand how to do this college golf thing because it's unique you know you there's an individual winner every week and a team winner and so you want your teammates to play well but if we're all honest i want to beat my teammates as you guys did and but you all want to play well so it's it's a it's a weird experience
3: did you ever get to play golf mr palmer
2: never played with him uh i played in the arnold palmer invitational twice as an am and got to go up in his office each time and talk with him and he i mean it, could, it would have been nice of him to shake my hand and, and say hello, but he told me to sit down. And we talked golf. We talked Wake Forest sports and um, couldn't have been nicer of him. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy.
3: Being on the Arnold Palmer Scholarship was obviously a huge deal wake Wake Forest, but also something major happened there. You met your wife, Dowd, yep. and you mentioned your dad earlier. I know he played quite a big role in this. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit how yeah. he helped out with Dowd?
2: Well, we tell people we are in an arranged marriage from my dad. Uh, So my dad met her at a party about two weeks before I went to school. She's a year older. And um, he said, hey, my son's coming awake in a couple weeks. He's this dorky golfer. All he does is play golf. He goes, I'm worried about him making friends. He goes, you're so beautiful. Take him out on campus and, like, just let him walk to class with you so people think he's got a beautiful girlfriend. And he goes, I'll seriously pay you 100 bucks to do it. And <laughs> she said, she's like, hey, Sam, here's the deal. If, he, if he's half as good looking as you are, I'll do it for free. Oh. Which that grabbed my dad's heart. And he called me. He's like, hey, I met this girl. Dowd, you got to meet her. And I'm like, whatever, Dad. So I see her the first night I met Wake. We're going out a couple couple parties with the golf team. And I try to get my teammate who had a couple of drinks that night, to go ask her, ask this random girl who I saw who looked like the girl my dad described, go ask her if her name's Dowd. Well, he ends up not making his way over. He gets distracted. And I I ended up meeting her the next day. We started dating. And uh, here we are. That was... 17 years ago. Wow. And we got five kids. That's
1: incredible. What yeah. kind of party is your dad at where there's good-looking <laughs> <That's> college shit? <is. laughs> That's yeah. unbelievable. Sam, <laughs> My dad <laughs> goes to some things, but there ain't no good-looking
2: college so, girls at them. So we're in Charlotte. We're in the South. There's a thing called the uh, debutante ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. You guys yeah, heard yeah. of that? Oh, I know, like, what a, okay. I know what they are. Yeah. Right. So uh, I guess when a girl's <laughs> 19, 20, whatever, she makes her debut. Yeah. And it's this old tradition where the parents kind of send her out to you know to date i mean it's so it's such an old tradition but her friend was doing it and um she was there at the party that is so awesome hell of a tradition so Uh, unlike any other thanks to my my, dad for that yeah
1: that's
3: one of my favorite stories i love it i'll give you how much how much how much
1: crap did you catch from everybody being like hey your dad's got to be the one to broker your dates for you otherwise you got no shot
2: well honestly like Dowd will tell you, I was texting him, like, hey, what do I do? What's my next play? Like, how do I handle this? So he was texting me all the girl advice. And honestly, like, that's how it is for me. Like, I, I, I had no game. And so <laughs> I told Dowd, I said, Dowd, once we start dating, I said, you, you realize how confusing women can be, right? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, multiple guys wanted to date you, and you didn't date them. I acted like I didn't want to date you, and you want to date me. And now we're dating. And and she laughed. I said, "Well, I just did whatever my dad said. He said play it cool, and I played it cool. But he did pay up his bet. He he. When I took her out for our first dinner, he bought it. So
3: beautiful. God, what a guy. What a guy. Yeah. It's just that a big
2: is. game of reverse psychology. These <laughs> <Yeah>. women. <laughs> whatever you
1: act like you want, you don't want. That's All right. right. Yeah. Well, we can
3: we can stay on your dad for a second because Sam, I've I had the privilege of knowing him, but he was too nervous to watch you play golf in yep. person, which always fascinated me. like, obviously you teed off much later on Sundays than I did. So I'd be in the locker
2: room afterwards, player dining. And I'm like, are you not going to go watch Webb? And he's like, he's like, no, I can't. I'm too nervous. He's so nervous. I mean, he, he always was. I mean, my first national tournament, I was 13 years old, the big eye in Houston. And it's just me and him there. And, and, and I'm just happy to be in the field. So he didn't need to be nervous, but he's nervous. He can't watch me play. I get to the 18th hole of the first round. The clubhouse in the background, they have these windows. You can't see in, but I know he's there. So I just kind of wave. I have no idea if he's there, but I think he's there. So we get done, and he's like, hey, how would you know I was there? And I said, I didn't, but I figured you were watching me because you're so nervous. He's like, I was. <laughs> I mean, my first win in Greensboro, he wouldn't leave player dining until I hit my second shot on the green on the last hole with three-shot lead. I was going to say, yeah, pretty big lead. <laughs> yeah. he, couldn't, he, he just couldn't do it. Do you think that's how you'll be with your kids if they play? I don't know. I mean, I'm already a little nervous, mm-hmm. you know, like watching them, you know, whatever sport they're playing. But I don't know if I'll get that nervous. I mean, what was funny about my dad, when he could caddy for me in amateur stuff, he would want to do it. Because he felt like he could say stuff to me. And so, we had a fun time in Southern AM and USAM with him caddying. Um, he was still getting nervous, but... You mentioned my fast walk earlier. I couldn't keep up with him, so really? I get it from him. Oh yeah, especially if I hit a ball left or right and we might, you know, need some time to find it, he would take off. <laughs> <laughs> that awesome. nervous
1: energy. Well, you mentioned, do you think you'll be like that as
2: a father? Do you think you got any little golfers in, in the flock? We, we, we're we exposing golf to them now and they like it. They don't love it. My son's getting into it a little bit. You know, he's, he's taking a rip at it out here, um, which I like, but we'll see. Definitely not going to pressure them into it. I want them to kind of get excited like I did. Uh, I played basketball until I was 15, but I realized I was really slow and I couldn't jump and I was a below average shooter, so no future. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I had a chance. <laughs> Should have walked on the wing. <laughs> yeah.
3: That is awesome. Well, before you turned pro, though, you and I got to represent Team USA in yep. the Walker Cup over at Royal County down in Ireland. Yep. Tell us a little bit, like, some of your memories from that team and how much fun I we am. had going over there.
2: Oh, that was probably my favorite memory uh, of amateur golf, to be honest. I mean, we had – talent-wise, we had an amazing team. I think at one point we had eight of us on the PGA Tour with tour cards. One guy, he didn't turn pro, Tripp Keeney. Um, and Jonathan Moore was over playing in Asia. So, I mean, it was a stacked team. Um, I remember a lot of card games. Yes. Swish. Swish. Did which... you call it Canadian blackjack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Canadian. As Great nervous game. as my dad was watching me was as nervous as I was playing switch. But I was I loved it. But I was I was in it minimum. So we played. We all <laughs> circled game up. We play. Buddy
3: Marucci, our captain, obviously has tons of money. He he'll play for anything. And then I like to gamble. Billy Horschel, Dustin, we're all around. Webb wanted to play every minute of every day. But the odds could be he could basically have no chance to lose five dollars. <laughs> Would never go
2: over bad. five dollars. <laughs> And Part if, there was, if there was any kind of doubling down, like 10, I'm sweating. <laughs> like for real, I'm sweating. But uh but no, I remember honestly, one of my favorite memories was I was in the second to last match, maybe. Uh, I can't remember, but I was playing David Horsey and it was close. There was we had a pretty good lead mm-hmm. going to Sunday. There was tons of their own cheers that morning in, in Ireland. And, and you could tell the difference. Obviously, we had some cheers, but theirs were a lot louder. And it was I was nervous because I'm like, man, they're having an unbelievable day. Then you see scoreboards, a lot of their colors up there. And then on 17, the visual picture I see of the Walker Cup in 07 is Colt Nose running down the fairway. Running? With an, with an American flag. And that was like I, – I got so excited because I, I – re- if he's running down the fairway, I'm still playing a match. the one. <laughs> <If> Colts <laughs> running something <laughs> may- major happen. Right. and something major happened. And and it was over. And and I looked at David. Colts fired up. I'm like, man, it's over. Like, I'm, I'm hoping he just shakes my hand because we're tied at the moment, me and David Horsey. And he didn't look too happy. He wanted to keep going, and he ended up beating me. But – we won, so that's all that matters. I
3: remember you told that story on your Faraday episode, and the first thing, Faraday goes, wait, Colt was running? <laughs> oh, there he goes. I mean, yeah. Obviously not a big shock, but man, that was so much fun over there. It
2: was. Yeah. And uh, I actually got food poisoning uh Friday night, Um the night before, I guess we started on Saturday. It's mm-hmm. only two days. I always for us, two days, but... I didn't feel great, but yeah, we're gonna get into that. Later. Cool. Yeah, yeah. The, the, no, we're gonna get into it. Just save man. it. <laughs> just save it.
3: But by the way, the two days of the Walker Cup, I think. God, I wish they'd make it three. But yeah, I mean, it's just. I it, it feel like it starts and it's over. It's so fast. Yeah, it is so, and fast. it's such a special event.
1: Yeah. You said it took you a couple of years to figure it out in college. It Didn't take you long to figure it out in the pros because turn pro in 2008, you come out right out the gates, almost win twice on what's then the Nationwide Tour. Then you get to a Q School, cruise through that real quick, and top ten a couple times right out the gate on tour. At that point, are you thinking? This, this pro golf's pretty easy.
2: Yeah, honestly, I think I was so naive to it. I didn't know what I was doing or what to expect, and I think that helped. I remember my first tournament uh, with my card was Hawaii, and I finished ninth, and Bill Haas, buddy of mine, said to me, uh, great week, you know, top ten. And I kind of looked at him like, what do you mean top ten? Because in college golf, a top ten wasn't a thing. Where on the tour, it's a it's a great week. And so that was my first kind of – eye-opening experience to realize man top tens you're doing something right and so um yeah i jumped right in and i had a great first year um second year kind of the sophomore slump i didn't have my card secured till uh, i think it was vegas i had a chance to win vegas uh the q school application was in going into vegas but i had a good week and secured the card and um yeah that was it was a tougher year the second year but definitely learned a lot
1: all right, you were talking about your rookie You come out at Gates, Q School, you get the, the first two top tens. Then you went into a little slump there. You missed nine of your next 13 cuts. What's the psyche like as a rookie in that situation? Is, is it easy to start second-guessing yourself and be like, man, this might have been a little tougher than I thought?
2: Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. I mean, I think, I think what's so hard as a rookie on tour is you're, you're playing these courses for the first time, and you happen to be playing against the best players in the world every week. And so, you know, it, it's an uphill battle. And I remember that stretch of missing that many cuts. And you, you do, you second guess, you doubt, you think about going to see a different swing coach, trying different driver, putter, whatever it is. And I remember actually speaking to my dad, I said, you know what, enough's enough. I'm not going to go see this guy or that guy or try this putter. I needed to just go back to when I was a kid. So I, I was living in Raleigh at the time. I called my dad up. I said, hey, I need you for two days. Let's go to Pinehurst like we used to. And I said, I just want to play for two days straight. You ride with me. You play if you want, but I'm done, like, grinding. I just need to play. And he literally just rode with me. He didn't say a whole lot. He gave me a couple games, probably for a $2 Nassau. (laughs) And and honestly, I left Pinehurst thinking, like, man, I shot a couple good scores, even though it was just with my dad. And I went back. I think my first tournament back might have been Memorial or Memphis. It was kind of in there and um, made the cut and started playing better. Is that kind of how you are
1: now? Like, if things aren't, it rarely do you miss cuts anymore, but if things aren't going well, do you go back to the golf course as opposed to the range and start tinkering and things like that? Do you prefer to play?
2: Yeah. I mean, if there's something that needs to get worked on, technically, yeah, I'll go to the range, but I feel like I'm only going to trust it and believe in it if I see it working on the golf course and if it means something. I'll go on the course by myself to, to practice, but I need somebody to go bet against um, to, to really feel like it's in there. Throw a couple fivers on the table, figure, figure things ah, out. Perfect. You know what I mean? I'm in, Yeah,
3: <laughs> I love that. Well, one thing you tend to do, maybe a little bit more than others, out on the PGA Tour, you, you hit the occasional housel rocket, the <laughs>
2: shank. I mean, do you think there's been
3: a more a better world class player that hits more shanks than you? No, no. <laughs> me
2: neither. I actually, I only know of one other world class player who hits shanks often. I won't name them, uh, but. Um, You can. I think it's – is he European? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Poulter? Does does he putt it it really good? Yeah. 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 He puts it really good. Yeah. yeah, I've always – I've always had that tendency. Um, I've had some really embarrassing ones. I would say the two worst were 16 at the Masters on Saturday. And I was playing with Zach Johnson, the pin's front right up on that (laughs) shelf. And I try to hit a hard cut eight iron, which is perfect recipe for shank for me, a hard cut. Um, and the worst part about 16 at Augusta hitting the shank is that there's a few thousand people in that hole. And so where my ball was, I think the number was 42 to the front. And so we got to move these people, and there's not really anywhere for them to go. So now it's taken forever for them to move, and I had no shot. I had to chip it in the front bunker. Um, another embarrassing one was eighth hole at Ryder Cup on Sunday mm-hmm. at Medina. And honestly, this is my thought process. Again, it's an eight iron shanked it over there my first thought was tiger is our anchor position and i just hit it towards the fourth tee and he's probably about there <laughs> and i will never hear the end of this yeah. if he sees me walking over to where he is and he had already come through we lose the Ryder cup and that night after the award ceremony tiger kind of motions for me to come here and um he's like hey man that was a tough day and i'm like yeah and he's like that wind was all over the place wasn't it and i'm like yeah it was and I, i'm in my mind i'm like why is he talking about this right now and he goes where'd you have have the wind on two part three and i don't know what i said and he goes where'd you guys have it on eight and he goes we had it straight left to right when i got there it was 120 or 30 and kind of looks at me with that big grin <laughs> and i'm just shaking my head he's like you I, heard you know, I heard I about, heard it. about <laughs> it yeah i heard about it yeah so, uh, well, I'm 50 when you hit.
3: here. but it, I mean, it doesn't seem to bother you though. Like you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, that just happens occasionally. Like it just, yeah. You move on to the next shot and it's done.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Paul, as a good caddy, reminds me my shank my my most frequent shank years are my best years. I had a lot in 12 and won the U.S. Open. <laughs> um, I had a lot in 13. You know, had a good year, and and so it comes. I think I've hit so many. Like you're saying, like I'm just used to it. That's so um, funny. But Kisner tells a funny story that. 11 that uh this past two two sonys ago i hit a shank so bad on 11 that i thought it was out of bounds and this kevin still to this day says it's the worst shank he's ever seen anyone hit because it was low and picked up some dew i remember this i remember
3: somebody sent me your shot tracker (laughs) (laughs) i'm like
2: oh boy (laughs) i remember this so uh it was in bounds made four and got out of there Uh, People love it, though.
1: You're relatable. They're like, here's Webb Simpson, minus 37 for the week. (laughs) Oh, there it goes. (laughs) 42
2: yards into number
1: 16. Shank's only this close for perfect.
2: I've had one here. First hole of the PGA Championship uh, on Saturday. Six iron, straight into the woods. Mm. So... You had a you had another beauty at the Ryder
1: Cup too, which is very underst- The Three, but it was a, wasn't a shank, pop up, a dead straight three wood about one ninety
2: five, two hundred, ah, one seventy probably, one sixty, yeah, yeah. Okay. take
3: us through that because I mean, obviously, the nerves are just insane.
2: They are, yeah. So I'm hitting the first tee shot of the whole Ryder Cup, and you're obviously so nervous. I I mean, I would say the the next most nervous is a Masters first tee, but there it's like a whole nother level. And, I honestly, I was really nervous, but I felt good. I mean, it's a three-wood, and the fairway's pretty wide. Well, the funniest part to me was we're playing Rose and Stenson, me and Bubba. So, I hit my pop-up right down the middle about 160. And then Rosie has three-wood already before I hit. Rosie goes back to the bag, and he pulls out driver. Yes. Of course. <laughs> of course. Dude. Of course. He, he wants the biggest thing in his bag. And it wasn't really a driver hole for him, but he just hit it. Um, and – I had hybrid in where Bubba hit driver and probably had a hundred yards in. Um, what did
3: Bubba say when you popped it up?
2: He just kind of looked to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got you this hole, web, Don't worry about it. <laughs> Is that <laughs> that new nine wood you've been trying <laughs> <on>? <laughs> that was That was so embarrassing, you know, being the first hole Ryder Cup. But, I mean, honestly, in that moment, like, you just got to laugh. And you you got to realize, like, people are going to talk about it, and it's, it's fine. Like, it's just, like you said, if I can relate to people, great. You know,
3: I remember you hitting it, and you kind of just like looked up, and then you just bit down and picked up your tee, and nothing like really happened. And then they just showed the ball landing. I like, remember.
1: The, oh my god! <laughs> the camera just was like it. panned up by the bunk or whatever it was, like where the ball is expected to land or whatever, and like it was yeah. nowhere to be. And then it was like zoom back, and it's like, oh, there it is. It's like Whoa. four paces on the fairway. That
2: was probably the worst part, honestly. Was I had to wait on my second shot because all the camera crews from all the different networks they had to move. they were in my way. They had to come all the way back. So as embarrassing as it was, I'm sitting there waiting for all these people to move back and get out of my way.
3: And there's not a sprinkler head within 100 yards.
2: Paulie's walking away. You know what? I'm
1: walking fa- super fast today yeah. at four cups of coffee. I'll handle it. I think we got 280.
3: But you mentioned so, 2012 earlier. Yeah. U.S. Open. Get your first major champion. Obviously, that was an incredible week at Olympic Club. What was it like realizing you became a major champion? And also, we do have to talk about the
2: Birdman. The Birdman, my good friend. My I've good friend. Yeah. The next forty-five minutes on the Birdman. <laughs> Just <laughs> Just the Birdman. Like, yeah. Um, well, I showed up and my game wasn't in good shape at all. I think I missed a cut at Memorial by eight shots, and so I go in not expecting much. And had an average first couple of days in 29th place. Play good Saturday, shoot two under, move all the way up to eighth, and then I think I was twenty-six. Never contended in a major at all. Had no experience there. Um, So, being four back, I think I was fourth or fifth to last group, so nobody was talking about me. I think that was a good thing because, you know, I'm not really under the spotlight, whereas the other guys were. So, I go out, kind of do my own thing. I'm two over early on Sunday, but then make a nice birdie run, birdie in six, seven, eight, and ten. And I kind of realized in that moment, I'm probably right in the middle of it. I I look at scoreboards now, I love looking now. I didn't then, so I didn't really know. Um, But, yeah, I think – it was – I was shocked. I was pleasantly shocked. But I, Martin Keimer, kind of his experience at Whistling Straits becoming a major champion, I, I read some of his comments shortly after. Really helped me because he said he felt like when he became a major champion, he felt like he had to be a different player. And all of a sudden overnight he's a different player. And he wished he wouldn't have kind of put that pressure on himself. And so I really took that to heart and I played the next week at the Travelers. And I thought, you know what, I've won a tournament, great tournament. Uh, but I'm not going to try to be anybody different and keep doing what I'm doing, um, and that really helped.
1: Go back to that that Sunday final round because you're four back, like you said, but there's seven guys in front of you, right? At that point in time, and the pressure's not on you, so it's kind of a perfect storm, but at that point, do you have, like, a target score in your mind for a Sunday? Like, all right, I think if I can get to this, I might have – because kind of have the mercy of the leaders, right? Yeah. If they go out and put a day together, exactly. they're not going to be catchable. But do you have a – I think if I shoot 68, which I think is what you shot final round, or 67 or whatever, like that'll give me a chance. Is it like that or? No, yeah,
2: that's no. exactly right. I, I told my wife; she was out there with me, and I said, "Doubt if you know if if Jim Furyk or Grant McDowell shoots a good number. If they break par, they're going to win probably because I didn't think four or five under was out there at Olympic. Uh, it was so firm. Rough was classic U.S. Open rough. There weren't really many birdie holes." But I said, hey, if I go shoot under par and they don't have a great day, I've got a chance. And so that was kind of what I was thinking. And, and, and you know what's cool? Paul, that morning, uh, went out and watched golf. And when he got to the range, I said, hey, what holes did you watch? He goes, I watched eight, the par three, right by the clubhouse, and a little bit on 18. He goes, the weirdest thing was happening on eight. He said he watched four or five groups come through, and everybody but one guy was short of the green on eight, which that day the pin's back left. So they're way short. He's like, I don't understand. He goes, the wind's not blowing much. I don't know what was happening. So sure enough, we get to eight. I'm in between five and six. I want to smash a six. I don't want to go long. And he kind of comes in close and whispers. He's like, hey, from what I saw earlier, he's like, I think we have to hit five. I'm like, okay. So I hit five, and I hit it good as I can hit it. And it ends up carrying this bunker, the front bunker, by only about three yards. So it barely was enough club. And it went to 20 feet, and I made it for birdie. And honestly, that was the difference. I mean, he, had he not been there, I hate at that time. I hated really taking yardage off of any iron shots. I want to hit it hard. Had he not seen that, I would have hit six. I would have been in the front bunker, made par, bogey, and somebody yeah. else would have won. Incredible, Shout out caddy, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. that is assist. awesome. Yeah, the big assist. Yeah, so it's cool. He, he gave me a frame picture of me hitting on that hole. Um, oh, wow, so that's a cool, cool that's story. Cool. Yeah, that is awesome.
3: Well, yeah. there was another cool story because. Right after you become champion, you're down there getting the trophy, U.S. Open trophy, and your good friend the Birdman appears. <laughs> Have you heard any background on this guy? Like, what, how did, what, did, what was your thoughts when this guy walked out?
2: So when he walked out, I'm kind of in the moment. And what's funny is right before he walked out, I'm kind of trying to take the moment in. And what, what, what my mind's thinking is, wow, there's a lot of California State Police around this screen. There's 25 of them. And I'm like, right before, right before Birdman comes out, that's my thought. And then all of a sudden he breaks through and i see his hat that funny hat and i see it's it's a blue it's a red white and blue hat even though i didn't see the 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 flag on there i just assume usga cuz they're usga colors and then he does his bird call and i was so confused i thought maybe this is a usga or a us open thing and he missed his cue because he you know we're in the middle of an interview so i'm 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 like all over the place like he's with usga why is he doing this and right at that time Mike Davis takes him by the shoulder and I don't think they showed this on TV, but that he threw him off the green into the bunker where Jim Furyk hit his second shot. They definitely yeah, did not did show that. Shot. I so saw the shoulder grab. Birdman took a basically a, a free dive into the bunker and <laughs> Free the, Bird. The free bird. And then the and then the cops came, pulled him out, and I guess, you know, they didn't arrest him, I don't think. They just kinda escorted him out. Oh. So it's okay. a it's a great memory because when people think of that US Open, the first thing they think about is Birdman. Yeah. yeah,
1: It's kind of a good, like it makes it super memorable. I remember mean, yeah. I had to reopen Alcatraz that night. <laughs> Do you remember the, the sound that he made? Oh, yeah. I remember it. Do you, you want to give us a little sample? Paca! Paca! Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right <laughs> I remember watching I was like, who the hell is this? He's had a yeah, lot of practice. he handled it well. Though. Like, yeah. What did you say? Enjoy the jail cell, buddy, or something like that? Enjoy yeah. the jail cell, pal. Yeah, pal, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you
2: heard from him since? So he issued uh, an official apology on YouTube. Oh, really to me but i i didn't want him to i didn't, i thought it was i wasn't mad at all um i thought he added to the experience yeah. uh, and i know he went to a couple other tournaments that summer i think he went to the to the open championship Think he had a little bit more security with him, or at least watching him. That
1: was my first, it was gonna be my first kind of answer. But I was like, How does nobody? I mean, you're around the 72nd green, you mentioned that there's so many California state police. How does a guy just cruise under the ropes? But, oh, yeah, the guy with the, the weird <laughs> hat on, yeah, he's probably belongs. Yeah. Just go ahead, do whatever you go ahead on the green there, pal. Yeah,
2: I don't know what his initiative was or what he was trying to do. But, um, man, he got to a, he he got past all those cops. So good on him. He's
1: probably got a massive YouTube channel now. Yeah, probably worked that into. Oh a, yeah, I think he had a million. big following. Yeah. Uh, especially
2: right after that. Yeah,
1: i will check him out.
3: One thing you went to, you went to the belly putter very yeah. very early on, and then we got it got banned. Which I was a belly putter guy. Yeah. Um, one you made a lot of putts with it. I did. I did, and then. It it went away. My belly got too big and the putter got too short. But, uh, go, it yeah, yeah, it's actually just a putter now. But they they the anchor band was 2016, correct? Yep. What was that moment like for you? Was it like, oh boy, this is full panic? Here's a method that you know I've really it obviously works extremely well. Yeah. And now I have to go learn something new or go back to something that I'm a little uncomfortable with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was I was extremely nervous, fearful. I mean. I started with the belly putter in 04, my freshman year at Wake, and instantly I putted better with it. And so I used this thing for 11 years, and it's a completely different feeling, motion, the way I stand than a short putter. Um, and so when I heard they were going to ban it, I was nervous. I didn't know if I could you know, putt decent with a short putter. One, because it had been so long, but two, the reason I switched to a belly putter is because my putting was so inconsistent. Um, I was super streaky. My good streaks were were good. My bad streaks were really bad. Um, and so Ryder Cup in 2014 at Glen Eagles, Paul, after we were, were in the locker room, he says, hey, we're going to Dunlop Phoenix um, in two weeks or whatever it was. Let's go to the short putter now. We're not putting great with the belly putter, you know, that year. He goes, it'd be a good time to change. We'll get a year ahead of this band because technically I didn't have to switch, like you said, till January of 16. So we did that. I used the short putter. Japan for the first for the first time in 11 years, and had a rocky, really rocky 2016, or 2015 on the tour. Um, didn't play great, or hit it great, didn't putt well at all, and so that was hard. Um, t- to go from making team events for a few years in a row to not making it to Atlanta, not making team events, it was a big adjustment.
1: When they banned it, did you know immediately that you were going to go to the arm lock?
2: No. So had you even experimented with it? I had never even experimented with it. And honestly, I, maybe the only guy I saw ever use it was Matt Kuchar. Um, and <laughs> I, I think after enough bad putting rounds, I was willing to do anything. If a shovel made the ball go in the hole, I would have putted with a shovel. That's how desperate I, I felt like I was. Um, and it was actually this tournament in 16 where I missed a cut playing with Phil And I'm like, i got to try something different. So, Saturday of of this tournament, I went out to Charlotte Country Club with an arm lock. I'd had a couple in my garage. And um, I went out and started putting with it. Putted pretty good. And I switched the next week for the players. How long did it take you to feel – like, you
1: were on par with the way you were with the – because you put, like you were the first guy I ever saw use the – like, in yeah. college, i showed up like, oh, he probably can't putt for shit. Right, you know exactly. I mean, he's using the belly – he's 21, <laughs> yeah. he's using the belly putter. Yeah, doing. nobody
2: used the belly putter. I today. knew you'd never have a career after that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Um, but the arm lock, I putted better uh, for the first year than the short putter. But I was kind of like – the end of my belly putter days I was inconsistent. And I showed up to the players one year later in 2017, Tim Clarkson on the putting green. Tim said, how you been putting? Tim and I have the same agent, so gotten to know Tim a little bit. And I said, man, I'm putting better with the arm lock than the short putter, but I'm, I'm still not where I want to be. And he said, you ever tried the claw? And I said, no. And I tried it. It felt very awkward, but I was making a lot of putts. <laughs> Show up Thursday morning before the round, morning tea time. Paul goes, which grip are you going with, conventional or claw? And I laughed. I said, I still don't know yet. I said, you'll see on the first hole, whatever I go with. Well, I did the claw. And I finished, I think, 16th that week, and, but I, I, I think I was top three strokes game putting, which I hadn't sniffed that in years. And so that was my first tournament with four days in a row of good putting. And since then, I've been able to you know, putt really well with the claw arm lock.
3: I mean, can you yeah. imagine I mean, if you didn't find that method, though? I mean, because it was, it was rough sledding for a while.
2: It was really rough sledding. Yeah. I mean, I was, I think two years in a row, I was between 185 and 195 in strokes game putting. There's not many below that. No. <laughs> Nowhere to go but up. And you can only rely on good ball striking for so long. Yeah. I mean, I think I hit it awesome in 2016 stats-wise and didn't come close to making it to Atlanta. And so, man, I, I, needed, I needed something.
3: Yeah. You mentioned Paul Tesori, your longtime caddy. Y'all have an incredible relationship. We're very close. I know he, he helps you with your swing as well. Yeah. Uh, how long have y'all been together now?
2: Uh, we started in 2011. Ten years.
3: That is incredible. Yeah. By the way, this is how confident he is in his job because you said <laughs> let he said let's get a year ahead of this anchor band like this. Yeah. Maybe one of the only few can. he's like yeah I'm gonna have a job with him for a year from now. <laughs> like yeah. I keep putting like this
1: yeah. we're both on
3: monster.com. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But how much has he meant to you in your career? Uh, he's meant so much. I mean, he my first my first year with him was 2011, and I finished 70th on the money list my rookie year, and then I think call it 90th. And then with him, I finished second first year with Paul. So he made an immediate splash. Um, he credits so much of his kind of golf knowledge to VJ, working for VJ for five years as VJ's caddy, and you know he was at every practice. And I give Pauly a lot more time off. Than I bet you do, yeah. <laughs> but Paul's Paul's forever grateful to VJ for what he learned. So I think what Paul did is he helped me with my golf swing. He helped me with just kind of fundamentals and technique. VJ is so fundamentally driven, and his mindset is so simple, which I think surprises people because he practices all day. I think people assume he's working on a million things. Paul said at the end of the day, 95% of what he worked on his golf swing was three things. And so I've kind of adopted that in my golf swing and um, has helped. But, yeah, Paul is an amazing caddy, an amazing – he's got an amazing eye for just technique in the the game. And also a great friend. I mean, we (laughs) – Players give us a hard time. Caddies give us a hard time because we room together. I don't think any other player <laughs> caddy room together. But here's the deal: I'm on the road by myself twenty weeks a year. I want to hang out with somebody. I don't want to go to sit in a hotel room, you know, every night. So we room together, and uh, we have a blast. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: more like a brother. Y'all's is like more like a brotherhood. There's, yeah. there's some cool, like friendly player caddy relationship. Yeah. you guys feels more like family.
2: Exactly, and I think that helps our relationship professionally because there's such a there's such a, a common ground of, hey, I'm for you. I want you to get better. like So whenever he has hard things to say to me or I have hard things to say to him, we both know that we're, we're after each other's betterment. And so I think that helps both of us because you know if, if, if he's seen something in my golf swing, it might be hard to say like, hey, you've had a couple of nice weeks, but we're going to go down the wrong path if we don't fix this. I don't think a normal player caddy relationship could, could operate that freely um, out of fear of, you know, what might happen. Ruffling feathers. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's really, really cool. Yeah. Should we get to the e 9 please? i got
1: one question. Okay. There's only a couple people, I feel like, in the world that can answer this question. We've got to go to 2018 players. Touch on that little cruiser victory you had there. But you go in the final round, seven shots up. Okay, that's why I say you're one of the only guys that can answer this. You have that lead. What's that What's that like for you knowing, I got seven-shot lead. That's pretty nice. But also, if for some reason, especially at Sawgrass where some bad things can happen, if I don't happen to win this thing, this is going down in <laughs> history.
2: <laughs> yeah, all those things go through your mind. And it doesn't help that my tea time, I think, was like 2.40 that day or something. And so, you're sitting around all day. And obviously, we already talked about I'm 6.30 with with coffee. So, I'm up all, all morning. <laughs> Pacing. Yeah. But uh, it was more uncomfortable than I thought it'd be. I mean, seven shots. You almost like feel better at tied or one up because if you lose, whatever. Yeah, it's just all downside. Correct. Um, And I remember, you know, the first or the second hole, I three putted for par. Danny Lee birdied, and on three, he hit it to a foot, and I hit in the left bunker. And so I'm like, you know, if I don't get this ball up and down, it's all. We're already down a four shot lead, which is nothing, as you said, around that golf course, but. Got it up and down, kind of weathered that beginning and birdied seven. Um, But then I had a kind of a rough stretch. Eight I bogeyed. Nine I made par when I could get home in two, and I bogeyed ten from the middle of the fairway. So I got that long walk to 11, and I knew we were going to wait. The guys in front of us just teed off. So I kind of had a pep talk with myself. I got a birdie hole here. 12 is a birdie hole. It's drivable. Um, And then, obviously, 16 is a birdie hole. So I kind of told myself, you're fine, like – the guys who are near you only have a couple holes left, like just buckled down here for a few holes and got got my birdie on eleven and sixteen and honestly, I wasn't going to exhale that entire day until the yeah. the balls on the green on seventeen because four shot lead eight shot lead doesn't matter because we've seen guys reload, reload and thankfully, Paul got the number that morning. It was a perfect sandwich. I don't like getting up on that hole hitting like a little chip wedge. Some guys do I don't. So I hit a sandwich, landed right in the middle of the green, and I knew it was over. Still got to get There's through There's no lead. Yeah. yeah, 6, 7,
1: 12, 17, until that thing's dry. Exactly. It's still up in the air. Well, they don't talk about make, it ever.
3: No. They don't talk about Bob Joy, sorry, no, Bob.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really see that many meltdowns there, yeah.
3: yeah. Exactly. All right, well, well now we're going to get to the E9, nine fun questions yeah. for you. You're going to love this. Perfect. Okay, we asked this to everybody. Movie made about the life of Web Simpson. You can pick anyone to play you. Who's it going to be?
2: My favorite actor is Denzel Washington. Okay, so I'm picking Denzel.
3: Incredible. You and Gary Woodland have both he's picked popular Denzel Washington. <laughs> so I didn't think we Gary would picked be the him guy. too. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, we kind of thought a, maybe we've had a few people. Yeah.
3: He's, he's in my favorite movie, Man on Fire. Oh, good movie. Yeah, yeah, great movie. I mean, has he ever made a bad movie? No. It's like You on the Greens. Yeah. yeah. That could be the name of it. <laughs> Mine wasn't an actor. I picked Chris Kirk.
1: <laughs> yeah. You play your movie. That was, I mean, <laughs> That's a good even, one. Yeah. You look a, a, exactly Andy's that.
2: got the beard. Yeah. Yeah. I normally have the beard. Yeah. yeah.
1: And Brendan Todd, throw them all in there and just yeah. like, get who's who. Like, oh, where's yeah. wall I get though. them all the time. Yeah. I love that. All right. Number two. You have a well earned reputation as one of the nicest guys on the PGA Tour. Give me one thing that'll get Webb Simpson mad. See you at your worst.
2: Um, well, we've touched on it already. And. To be honest, if I open my coffee drawer, I'm out of coffee.
1: No caffeine.
2: Yeah, like that's that's when I gotta you gotta get in the car and drive to the store. When the first thing I want to do is just sit down and have my coffee. So it's happened enough to where it, it's never gonna happen again in my house. That's incredible. <laughs> the old that's the one thing that can make you mad. I love that. Okay,
3: well let's tell us your coffee. I've heard your coffee order. It's yeah. rather interesting.
2: Well, what you're referring to is I used to get. Eight shots, over ice, ice in first, a okay, little see, bit of cream. Ice in first. Yeah.
3: Why? Why does the ice have to be in first?
2: So the Starbucks baristas tell me, one guy said, hey, if you put the ice in first, the the cold ice will shock the, the espresso shot and it holds flavor longer, which there's no way that can be true. <laughs> but. How do you test this? You don't <laughs> challenge the Starbucks barista. Yeah. Exactly. They're I scientists. went with it. I went with it. But- I think COVID happened. Starbucks are shut down. I realized I got to make it at home. So now I have everything at home. I have a pour over kit, kettle, and I travel with it. So I have, I mean, this is Coffee 101, but I have the coffee suitcase. It travels with Hulk one Coffee up. 101. So every every event, I've got my kettle, my grinder, my scale. Um, scale. Yeah. Measure the beans You're every morning. Measure the beans. Yeah um uh, okay how
1: like what weight are we this was preparing? actually my next question so just keep going on the so coffee i go
2: 42 grams per cup <laughs> and then the hot water is at 205 degrees and you know the slow pour the i the whole process takes about eight minutes so thankfully we have hulk of the luggage service on tour because he's taking it for me every week I got to try it's this It's like coffee Breaking some time. Bad in, in Webb's Kitchen. Yeah. It's like a little meth lab in there. It is. I've wondered sometimes at hotels, like, are these people going to think They're there's getting, something shady I'm going on in here? Cooking meth yeah. up in it. No, dude, this is just the morning my morning coffee. coffee. <laughs> and I've got the Chemex beaker, you know, so that that looks a little sketchy. Brings a hazmat suit. <laughs> <laughs> Eight minutes to
3: make your coffee each morning. That's all right, awesome. that was actually
2: yeah. my next one. So fire two on yeah.
3: that one. Oh, that is great. Um, all right, well, we talked earlier about our Swish games at the Walker Cup. You're gambling, yep. and you didn't like to play for too much. I mean, you've made over $40 million on tour. What's the biggest bet you've ever made?
2: So my first uh, Presidents Cup in Australia, uh, I'm playing with in a practice round with Phil and Furyk and on the way to the T. Bubba had played the Ryder Cup in Wales in 2010. And Bubba said, hey, uh, just to let you know, we're probably going to be playing for $1,000 today. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, what if I don't want to? He's like, well, you're playing with Phil. You don't, you, don't, you don't have a choice. He's like, I'm just letting you know. He's like, I don't want to. Play for that, but he goes, That's what we're playing for. And so um, so we did. And I, Bubba and I won. And I said, Hey, Bubba, Jim can pay you. I want Phil to pay me because I want to always say that I'm, I'm a thousand up on Phil. Never going to bet him again.
3: I love that. That's for a thousand
2: bucks. Perfect. You keep that thousand
1: and frame it, put yeah. it on the wall. I don't care if you're down to your last nickel. I have a feeling no. Phil's
3: largest bet's a little bigger than that.
1: I'm sure. That probably didn't even get him excited that day. That'll no. be the answer. What's the smallest amount you've yeah. ever played for? I don't they I
3: played Web Simpson for a thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. Uh, All right, I
1: got a fill-in for my coffee. I just thought of it. Are we? Are, can we confirm that the Birdman actually might not have been just Charlie Hoffman in disguise? <laughs> Yeah, because
2: then Charlie had the the long hair. Yeah, and this is Seagull. This is right up This his alley. Yeah, I I, I couldn't see Charlie doing that, but maybe. We'll see. But we've never
1: seen Birdman and Charlie in the same place at the same time. That's all I'm saying.
3: (laughs) That's awesome. Next question. All right, you mentioned earlier you got food poison at the Walker Cup on Friday. I might have gotten amongst it, as we said on this show a lot, on Sunday night. Who do you think felt worse Monday morning
2: going to the airport near you? Definitely you. And the proof of that is <laughs> – Yeah, prove it. Proof of that is I woke up Sunday morning feeling a little better. I had like full breakfast. Colt and most of the team, they're kind of getting on the bus last minute. Colt's there. You know, Colt Colt likes to hold court. You know, Colt was – he was always telling stories, making us laugh on the team bus. Well, Colt's real quiet Monday morning. Kind of cuddled up in his seat. And Colt needs a pit stop. So <laughs> –
3: the roads in Ireland are a little windy. <laughs> a little windy,
2: a little bumpy. And Buddy Marucci, our captain, Colt says, "Buddy, we got to stop like right now." So Colt needed to stop. Colt wasn't feeling great, um, and we're all just smiling. You know, it's a great victory. We just had, and now Colts in the woods in Ireland.
3: Some man's driveway, just buking <laughs> some random dude's driveway.
2: We all got pictures of it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Sasquatch. I they don't have any okay. Yeah, are there photos of this? They, Apparently, this? Dustin has a photo. Yeah, we're gonna need to retrieve. I I I know what the photo
1: looks like. I probably don't have it, but yeah, we need to get it. Good blackmail material for CBS and yeah. contract negotiation. <laughs> well, we can release this, or you could take what we're I'm offering. Fine with it. We, had, <laughs> yeah. hey, we broke a very long streak of
2: losing across yeah. the pond, so I was very very happy. But so, yes. So Sunday night, my last memory because we we're all at the, the dinner, and I'm still not feeling good. Sunday night, I got to go up to my room, and so as I'm walking out, I see Colt holding you know a server's tray of shots, and that's when I said good night to, to Colt. <laughs> Colt's ready to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. So that was my last picture of him Sunday night.
3: Robbie Zalznick, our team manager, <laughs> made me a bobblehead doll, me with a red USA cap on and holding a tray of shots. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's it's fantastic. That's perfect. I uh, um, love it. That was at a least fun they room. weren't sharing the room. We, well, we uh, sat next to each other on the
3: plane ride home, and, I mean, we were both dead yeah. for the week. But, yeah. hey, I puked and felt better.
1: Yeah, good. Was you going to have to share facilities. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> all right, next one. This is more of a story. Tell me, can you tell us a story about how your good friend Bubba Watson helped facilitate your caddy's wife getting a very nice piece of jewelry?
2: Oh, yeah. So we were at the Masters a few years ago, and um, I guess when Polly was engaged, this was that time, and Bubba said, hey, if you – I think it goes that if you can find the, a palm tree, um, one palm tree at Augusta, I will buy you, you know, whatever ring you're going to get, Michelle. Well, we get to four and obviously there's the only palm at Augusta. And now it really sticks out. Then there was a lot more shrubs, bamboo around it. Well, Paul finds it. Bubba's mad because he's got to buy this ring, but he said he would do it and he. Literally bought the ring. I guess it, I don't know if it was engagement ring or wedding ring, whatever it was, cost a lot of money and and he paid up. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he bought the ring. I like that. So we always talk about it on the whole note. Man of his word. He is. Like when he told me he would
3: come
1: on this podcast (laughs) and has backed out. It's a lot easier to buy the ring after you win the tournament too. Yeah, exactly. It must have been
2: 12. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, his first one. Yeah. Yeah. He had, he had plenty of money to to buy it before that, but that helped.
1: Yeah, that's catching him at a good time. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah. in a good
3: mood. Here, I'll do it now. Yeah. All right, last question. Your caddy, Paul Tostori, very good player. Y'all play a lot of golf together. Has he ever beaten you?
2: Yes. Got to be honest on this podcast. Yes, <laughs> he'll listen to this. He beat me at Augusta. He was one up going to eighteen, and I hit it five feet, and he hit it twenty feet maybe, and he made it. He made birdie on eighteen and beat me by one.
3: What was his reaction like?
2: Um, he, I think he was way more excited on the inside than on the outside. I didn't know he beat me at the time, but he 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 let me know he did, that, and and still to this day lets me know that he beat me.
3: Well, I mean, what a place to do it. Eighteen of yeah. the and we played all
2: the way back. It was legit. Put what year out. was that? That was prob- that was short putter days. <laughs> that was probably 2016. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, We, we had him on the radio, and he called and told us that story. Like, first thing he said,
1: was like, i got to tell you the story about me. <laughs> no, no, so web. I asked him, "I, asked him, I asked
3: him, have, has web, have you ever beat Webb? He goes, I'm so glad you
1: asked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How much <laughs> time do we have right now? <laughs> we went shot Let's go by hold shot. The yeah. So yeah. on one, I was playing a title <laughs> for <laughs> Awesome,
3: Webb, we can't thank you enough, my man. This yeah. has been awesome. Thank Appreciate you for having you, me. Thanks yeah.
1: for yeah.
0: down. super fun. fun. And that was Webb Simpson joining us on Golf Subpar, Slay's. I know you don't know him very, very well, but obviously he brings some energy with this caffeinated disease. Yeah.
1: How can you not bring energy when you're slamming three coffees in there, in the system before you, before you even tee it up? I love hearing that. And also maybe a little conspiracy theory that possibly could be what leads to his quote unquote little, you know, shank issue that pops up every now and then I know it. Well, it can happen when you got that much, when you got that much juice running through the system. But I also love this quote. I think it was like, some of my best years are my biggest shank years. He's like, he looks at the shanks like, oh, if I'm shanking it a lot, that means I'm real close to playing good. And it, those are some of his best years. I thought that was awesome.
0: By far the best player I've ever known to consistently shank a ball. But I mean, yeah, if you're gonna play your best, when you when you hit a few shanks, hey, no problem at all. I love how it just doesn't really seem to bother him at all. I mean, that's just the way Web Web is. He just lets it roll off his back. But man, what what a great time this this was. And how about the fact that Paul Tesori – birdie's 18 at augusta national to beat webb for the first time his caddy i thought that was a great story
1: yeah every caddy who's a former player deserves to beat their guy at, at least once and and to do it at augusta national that's got to be the, the pinnacle of all that but i remember when, when we had Paul on our radio show, we were talking through that story. He was, like, keeping score the entire day. He knew exactly where the match stood, and, and he's like, I could kind of tell Webb probably wasn't aware of what was going on until the last couple holes, and then I told him what was going on, and Webb proceeded to go, like, birdie-birdie or whatever to finish it and, and close it out. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty nice feather to have in the cap as uh, for Paul Tesori to beat Webb at Augusta National. If you're going to do it anywhere, that's the spot.
0: No doubt about it. Um, got to thank him for coming on with us, but please, we got to give a little shout out to our, our guys over at Barstool, especially Riggs for what they have done with, you know, the women's collegiate golfers. I thought that was such a cool thing for them to set that tournament up to where these, cause I mean, these girls absolutely got hosed with what the NCAA did. I thought it was very big of them to step up and put that event. So I just want to give a little tip of the cap to Riggs and the guys at Barstool for doing that awesome event.
1: Yeah, huge props to those guys for getting that done and getting that done so quickly and giving these girls a chance to end their careers, at least with a chance to play and not just going home because there's some rain out there. And also, like, it's almost sad that it takes a group like Barstool Sports, a digital media company, to come in and save the day, just like they did with small businesses, right? They raised so much money for small businesses. Like, This isn't their job. This isn't their job to go give girls a chance to play when the NCAA messes up, but they took it upon themselves to do it. And I think the NCAA looks like a bunch of schmucks after this. I mean, they're known for kind of messing things up. But, um, yeah, kudos to Riggs and the boys over at Foreplay play for getting that set up. Pretty pretty cool deal to see them actually do something like that, that that like makes a difference for these girls, you know? I don't know if you were paying attention, but Charlie Hoff- Hoffman just made an appearance. I just saw right over him. There you might stream. want to check. Yeah. Don't look at your back right shoulder. Just wait till afterwards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's awesome. All right, well, let's get into our picks for this week's PGA Championship. You know, we both made the cut last week at the Byron Nelson, but not our best. You know, we both went with some pretty big players. Obviously, I went with a huge one in John Rahm. Big letdown um, for his performance. And you had Scotty Scheffler. Not our best, but producer Mark, how those standings looking.
2: Yeah, so nothing crazy for either of you guys, but you did both cross the $3 million threshold for the season. Uh, and the lead grew just slightly up to $346,798.
3: All
1: right. All
0: right. Still well, tight. there's a massive purse. Yeah, massive purse on the line this week. I do have the honor, since John Robb nudged out Scotty Scheffler and Sleez. I mean, it's a major championship. You gotta go with a big time player. This guy, he's 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 won at Crooked Stick. He's won at TPC Sawgrass, both Pete and Dye golf courses. Last time they played here, he won by eight shots. I know it's a different time of year, but I'm gonna go with him. He won in his last start at Quail Hollow. Uh, Rory McIlroy is my guy this week.
1: Yeah, as as disappointing as it was for both of us to use some big name guys last week, and it really didn't matter money wise what was going on that last day. It was an enormous Sunday final round to see who had the honor going into this week. Because I'm on record, I don't ever want to pick the same guy you pick. Uh, that kind of that kind of you know lessens the significance of the week. So I was like Scott, I was watching the thing. I was like Scotty, make a frickin' birdie, bro. So anyways, I got nudged out. I had a feeling you were gonna go with Rory. That's smart. Uh, don't overthink it. I think it's the right time to pick Rory. I'm going to go with the guy. I've been saving, waiting for him to, to catch form, and I think that time is now. He's the 16-1 to 1 betting uh, betting odds this week. Jordan Spieth is who I'm going to go with. I'll give you my logic wow. here. You tell me if you disagree or agree with this. All right. Recent form, last eight events, he's got a win, six top tens. He's only finished outside the top 15 one time. Okay. My hope here, Colt, is all this hype around the golf course, how hard it's going to play, things like that. Even the best ball strikers in the world, I'm hoping if the wind gets blowing, they make this thing as hard as they say they can. Even the best in the world are missing a bunch of greens. All of a sudden, it becomes a little, the emphasis on the short game becomes a little more important. Who can get up and down? Who can scramble? Who can make those six, seven foot par saves? And when if it gets into a situation like that, uh, there's nobody better than Jordan Spieth there. So I'm going to go with Jordan Spieth. When there's a few places I was thinking of taking him, but this week at this golf course, I think the harder that it plays, the more I like Jordan Spieth. And shit, I mean his form is so good right now. Like, what am I What am I saving him for? You know what I mean? six yeah. top tens in his last eight you got to jump on that hey you don't have to convince me you don't have to say it twice i, I heard you the first
0: time but yeah I, I love him this week um i already used him at augusta i just flew over here with him um so i can't really root against him since he did give me a ride on the bird slide but that hey, in there you yeah, go that's a great pick that's yeah. a great pick all right here we go rory McIlroy, jordan Spieth at this week's pga and sleaze so the hits keep on coming we have a fun one coming up next week we got two caddies sitting down with us, Aaron Fleener, Gino Benelli. If you don't know them, you're going to love them after you watch this episode. It is a blast. And that's going to do it for this week's Golf Subpar. See you next week.